Hey, maybe just pumpernickel the brakes there, counselor. This week, as much as I don't want to make him news, Mike Nickel is in the news. Plus, the other one who we don't want to make news, but is, friend of the podcast, John D, made some noise about ending the state of local emergency. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 82, and we've got a big episode this week, so I'm not even going to vamp in this section. On to the rapid fire. A shocking image was published on Reddit this week showing a shuttered West Edmonton Mall with its world's largest parking lot completely empty. The apparent dystopia appears soulless and devoid of humanity, a beige concrete cutout with a deep asphalt moat separating the establishment from community around it. It's a persistent reminder of the crushing capitalism and negative effect it has on human well-being and happiness. And it appears none of that has changed due to the coronavirus. The Edmonton Folk Music Festival, Taste of Edmonton, the Calgary Stampede, and K-Days have all announced cancellations this year, solidifying 2020 as the year that both everything and nothing happened. As we've seen with hand sanitizer, toilet paper, and, quote, challenges on Instagram and TikTok, coronavirus fads happen in waves, and as residents begin to notice some of the contradictions affecting society in these trying times, Dickens fans especially have come out of the woodwork, leading to Dr. Hinshaw issuing a blanket province-wide ban on quoting A Tale of Two Cities. As she explained in a press conference, quote, We've been issuing restrictions related to physical distancing, but mental health is very important as well, and these new restrictions will help us stay sane while still living with family members who have to complete their drama degree at home. Keep us all safe. If someone is opining about the best and the worst of times kindly, but firmly, tell them no. Two house cats in New York have tested positive for coronavirus this week. This is a real news story. This isn't a joke. The joke is upcoming. This has led to widespread medical speculation about whether it's possible for humans to transmit coronavirus to their kitty friends or vice versa. The U.S.'s top infectious disease expert, Dr. Fauci, has stated publicly that there's no epidemi... There's no epidemi... There is no epidemi... There is no virusologist evidence that pets are communicating the virus back to humans. We at Speaking Municipally, however, have sourced some early clinical data from overseas that appears to suggest that COVID-19 in cats is not communicated at all, but rather a rapid evolutionary response to a swell in cat owners staying home all day and inventing new nicknames for all their foo-foo cuddly poops, and the kittens around the world would like it to just please stop. It appears that COVID-19 is the most reliable method of keeping humans six feet away at all times. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is a small local business, and like many of you, it has been closely monitoring the news on COVID-19 and the world's rapidly changing circumstances. While many of their team are currently working remotely, the way Park Power does business has not changed, and their commitment to exceptional customer service will remain. You can find out more about Park Power's response to the COVID-19 outbreak at parkpower.ca. Epidemiological. I can say it. Nailed it. We won't waste any more time uh, getting into today's news because go figure there's a lot of it this week and most of it has been peddled by one counselor 
at the risk of giving a biased presentation of what it was, I'm going to let Mac do the backgrounder here. <laughs> so, of course, we are talking about Councillor Mike Nickel, who over the last week has made a number of social media posts basically attacking his um, colleagues on city council, ex- you know, uh, exclaiming that he thinks there's no leadership right now, calling the uh, shared use paths that the city has implemented in a number of locations to give more space for people during the pandemic for physical distancing. He's calling these bike lanes and doing it in a very derogatory way. And then when his colleagues have responded to him, he's taken to doing attack posts on social media. So it's not a good look on Mike Nickel. We've talked on the show a few weeks ago about how he was politicking during a pandemic. And of course, uh, Keith Durine in the Edmonton Journal already wrote an article, a column uh, about that. And I'm, I think has written a second one now, uh, given what Mike Nichols has been up to. Um, but that's, that's the gist of it. Mike Nichols has basically unofficially launched his mayoral campaign. Yeah. And there's a lot to break down here and there's a lot of facets to it. The, uh, lack of information, the code of conduct breaking allegations, but a lot of it comes down to exactly what you said. This is what many of us who follow City Hall consider to be Mike Nichols' campaign launch. Whether it's a good campaign launch, you and I would probably say, no, absolutely not. Uh, Mike Nichols' electoral politics probably disagrees with that. But I think that's a good place to start in that we're pretty broadly dismissive of Mike Nichols. I know we've talked about it in the past, just like, hey, maybe Mike Nichols should run for mayor because... He'll split the right vote and we'll get a progressive candidate waltzing into the mayoral chair. And there was a post by Tim Querengesser this week that made some made for some sober second thought on that idea. And Tim agreed to join us on the show. So thank you for joining us, Tim. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So if you could just in a nutshell, what was the central thesis of the post you made this week? I think the central thesis is, like you said, that there's been some dismissal. I've, I've been watching what's been happening with uh, Councilor Nickel, and I've been watching the response. And it kind of reminded me of responses that I've heard in the past. So as I point out in the column, I lived in Toronto 2010 to 2013 before I moved here. Um, So I wasn't there during the election uh, of Rob Ford, Mayor Rob Ford, but I was there sort of as the city was still digesting it. And I, and I got there and I heard this kind of, no one thought that this could happen. And, And I would, I read back, you know, I went back and looked at how Rob Ford and the the election were being talked about. And there was this dismissive tone. And then I recalled having some discussions with some uh, people I know pre-2019 election here in Alberta, you know, and there was this kind of dismissive tone about what was coming with the uh, UCP and, oh, no one's going to vote for them, that sort of thing. And, And it just kind of reminded me again, like this dismissiveness doesn't really do much other than just bury your head in the sand. So I, 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 I wanted to actually just put that out there that dismissiveness doesn't do much. You say in the post that it all feels very Ford era Toronto. So what are what are some of the similarities you see between what Nickel has been doing this week and, and maybe what you saw with Mayor Ford? The theatrical nature of things, the, um, the use of his own media channels, um, so if you know, Rob Forty had like a YouTube channel, his brother now premier of Ontario, they had the, I think it was called Ford nation TV or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a, a, a huge viewer of it, but they have their own way of speaking to people and th- this constituency that they speak to views this information that they're getting from, from these types of people as 
quote unquote fact. And this is what I find really troubling about what I'm seeing is that I see this happening in the United States. Uh, you see uh, President Donald Trump say something, and then, like today, he talked about injecting uh, cl cleaner into into your body, and and people are now very quickly like trying to say, please do not do this because it's in, it's within the realm of possibility that someone might, you know, and this is what I see here that there's this go around between what's real or what's what's believable news and what's fact. This person is kind of doing an end run around the traditional channels and speaking directly to people and telling them what they want to hear in some cases. And I find that really troubling because uh, as several of um, uh, Councillor Nichols' colleagues pointed out, a lot of the things he said there were just demonstrably not true. It's interesting that you say you're not a viewer of Ford's media. Shocker, I suppose. But I think it lends credence to the idea of the idea of a filter bubble uh, that Councillor Nickel or Ford or Trump or whoever it might be in the populist bubble, they select their own audience and then they control for that audience. So you saw it a lot this weekend where Mike Nickel posted several threads on several different forums, but Facebook, he clamped down. If there was critical comments, those comments were deleted. If there were uh, critical comments, uh, responses to tweets those tweets weren't responded to they were hidden twitter threads got deleted he was very much controlling and filtering the bubble he blocked hundreds of people in edmonton on twitter this weekend because he doesn't want dissent and then when one goes to view his posts there's nothing but positive response it looks like this is a guy with a ton of support and maybe he does maybe he doesn't but by controlling this news channel, it sure seems like it does. And this is different than back in maybe 2012, 2010, earlier when Ford was doing it. The idea of controlling your filter bubble and projecting out fake news, we have seen many politicians do this, and it's been refined down to a science. So do you think that makes this all the more dangerous now as opposed to perhaps historically? I think you made a pretty strong thesis there that I, I would have to agree with. Um, the The thing that I keep thinking about is um, the filter bubble or the bubble on the other side. So the bubble that some people live within, perhaps you might say I live within it. You know, I'm a, I go by the term progressive because I like to think that we can change things for the better. I, I don't know what that term really means, but that's how I, I view myself. Maybe I'm in a progressive bubble in in what I what I receive and talk about on social media. What I found really interesting is when I went to read uh, Councillor Andrew Knack's post uh, about the whole thing with Councillor Nickel. You have you have Councillor Knack, you know, in a very characteristically uh, calm, kind, respectful way, not using the councillor's name, not making an individual about him, uh, you know, saying that these things weren't true. And then you look in the comment section within there on his own blog, and uh, you know, it's just like there's like four or five people just going at him, saying how what an awful person he is, and they're with Nickel, and it, it, that's the the pop there, right? Like that. I think that maybe people like myself don't get a lot of that and it's there and it, it, it's it's kind of in the background to a lot of people that might be in power or close to power or part of, you know, part of the, the city conversation at the moment, but perhaps they don't really realize how much of that is, is out there. Do you think they're seeking somebody who is 
you know, talking about some of the things that they believe to be true. And, and, and though his methods may not be great, he is touching on some of those things. There's a, a line in your article that I, I really resonated with me. You said, quote, what irks me about all of this is that Edmonton needs a person with Nichols values, if not his methods. And then, end quote, you go on to say, you know, he's right about the Metro line, the big projects take too long. I mean, Nickel, again, this week at council talked about, what is it, Troy? Measures, outcomes, and whatever his thing is. You know, he he talks about those things. And I've said before that we need somebody like that on council. We need somebody who's going to ask those hard questions. I don't agree with the way that he goes about it, usually voting no and then not speaking during the meeting and talking to the media afterward. But, you know, it. I guess my question is, is, is there some truth to the things he's saying? And is that why he has this following that you have uh, identified? There's why there's people that are posting positive things? Yeah, that's a really good question. There has to be an element of truth within it, right? Like that there has to be a grain of something that is true, true enough to get people angry. And to, frankly, uh, I'm often quite frustrated, I think, as some of you guys are with, with counsel. And like I said, you know, there are things that Councillor Nickel identifies that I'm 100% in agreement with. You know, I, th- this is not working well. But again, it's it's how he goes about it. So you've brought up the the no thing. I've seen that in person only a few times. I've I've read about it and heard about it. I do see what Andrew Knack wrote in his blog that any elected representative who believes something is not being done well has the ability to bring forward ideas at any time. So the implication is, is, you know, instead of doing something at council, I'm just going to scream on social media. That's what I find troubling. You actually have been elected to go deal with this problem and instead are, are complaining that the place is broken. That doesn't make sense to me. So that is what I find irksome or bothersome here, because yes, I think that there is a, a kernel of truth to what Councillor Nickel and other people who are frustrated are saying. You know, the, the council maybe isn't working. Maybe council has some um, problems with delivering things on time or um, maybe talking a big game, but not having the walk, so to speak. But, you know, it's troubling when when you work so hard to get to council and then don't use that privilege. I find it really interesting, and you touched on this just a moment ago, but you could understand if someone like John Zadick uh, had this same sort of social media outcry, and let's be honest, he does, but Councillor Zadick is a new councillor. Mike Nickel has been around this circuit. He's been a councillor for over a decade, and yet all of his social media posts tend to be from the frame of like, oh, I have no idea how we got to this situation, but boy, I sure would know how to fix it if I was in power, neglecting that he has been in power for over a decade. Do you think this is a strategy that he's presenting, the sort of like helplessness of him currently as a power move, or is this ineptitude as a counselor? Good question. Um, I can't be in his inside his his head. Obviously, um, I think that there's a pattern here of claiming a sort of victimhood, or maybe victimhood is the wrong word, but just claiming a powerlessness when you're part of a, an organization. I mean, what we're talking about here is a process, and it's it's a democratic process. And what Councillor Nickel seems to be saying is that that process doesn't work for him. And so he, instead of participating in it, and, and this is what you guys have brought up with the, the saying no, or as, as Councillor Knack has said, not offering ideas or even being part of that debate, you know, he's just going to step back and complain about it. So after 10 years, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, 
counselor Nickel ran to be a counselor and then six months after that decided that he wanted to run for a UCP nomination and then lost and then came back. And a lot of people will point that out and be very dismissive of him, but I don't understand it. I mean, if you think the place is broken, then why are you here? And if you're here, why aren't you participating? I don't get it. So to me, it's, it signals someone that potentially does have a strategy that potentially is trying to stoke division and, and anger uh, to use it later on, you know? And so we, we obviously have a, an election coming in 2021. We have a massively popular mayor um, who is polarizing because he's progressive, because he's uh, all sorts of things. I've seen him compared now with Justin Trudeau so many times, it's not funny. So, you know, there's, there's this part of him that really gets to people, really ticks them off. Uh, and I think that there's there's a polarization that's happening here. Yeah, I would say that there has to be a strategy here. So let's operate on some assumptions here. Let's assume that uh, Mike Nigel does have a strategy here, and his strategy is to win a mayorship based on whatever sort of filters and whatever outrage generating content he's currently projecting. And let's also operate on the assumption that we don't want him to do that. If that was the case and that was the opinion of the room, how does one or how does a city or how does the movement go about combating some of this misinformation, this polarization, this strategy that we're seeing Councillor Nickel employ? Because like he said in a Global News article this week, when people were saying this is code of conduct violating, we want to perform a council code of conduct investigation Councillor Nichols' response was, bring it on. Like he welcomed the division, he welcomed the censure, and he welcomed the attacks on him. So how do you go about fighting against that enemy that wants to be fought against? That's such a good question. And I've been mulling it all day. And someone basically put it to me on Twitter directly. You know, I, I wish I had a perfect answer to it. I think in every democratic process people can get frustrated and and lose lose hope lose faith lose patience and give up and say it's broken and i think that now is the time to double down on putting up with it and and realizing that that's what we've got the process is what we've got and to be part of it and to work within it and to to take yourself out of it to think about everyone instead of you the other thing is, is that i think that there's this this constant you know pointing at the facts and worrying about whether Ms. Uh, Councillor Nickel is telling the truth and all of that, and and assuming that like anyone really that is listening to that is going to worry about that, that if we catch him, you know, um, misspeaking or or telling fibs, that somehow that's going to lower his credibility. I don't think that that is, you know, and I think this this the, the response here is very classically inept in that you know let's let's go after him with a, a code of conduct you know investigation. It's, it's still within that very process-driven response that Nickel is pointing out as being broken. So whatever you do with it, he's going to say, look, there's proof, it's broken, right? You have to start thinking about how this plays into his narrative. And you have to start deconstructing that narrative. You have to start offering a, a very different narrative. You know, So Edmonton is not broken. Edmonton is not all the things that Councillor Nickel is saying. You know, so there has to be a, a positive to it. But, you know, who is who is the one to do that? Uh, who, how do you do it? I don't know. But that that I think is the answer to your question. We saw something similar in the last budget discussion when council 
wow, this is, seems so quaint, but they were talking about a 0% increase and just like lowering some rec center fees. Such quaint issues we used to have. <laughs> but in the last budget discussion, uh, council was pretty split. And there was a lobby organization, uh, we called them Austerity Edmonton, they were a Prosperity Edmonton that was fighting for a hold the line increase on taxes. And to combat some of that, you had uh, Julie Cusick and a couple other interested Edmontonians start up a group called Thrive Yag, which was essentially doing what you're saying. They were giving positive messages about how we think Edmonton is great and how we like the services being provided and how we want to see those increased. I see that as something that you're saying is a potential way of combating the Mike Nickel, Edmonton is broken narrative, but can something like this come from the community, do you think? Or do you think we need someone running against Mike Nickel as a leader, someone like a Don Iveson or some other inspirational politician carrying that message and carrying that banner? I, I honestly think it would have to be a leader. Um, and as you were asking that, I just kept thinking, you know, like maybe it just has to be someone from, you know, it's like Mike Nickel, but from the other side, telling the truth, but, you know, speaking, speaking plain. City Hall's not working in some ways. We haven't done a good job here. This hasn't worked. We need to stop this. You know, like being blunt and frank and honest, speaking plainly, but also offering a progressive, positive vision for what we do instead of um, what I see, which is basically let's cut things, let's cancel things. Let's not, let's, let's shrink the role of the city. Just be just like the province seems to want us to do because it wants to cut our funding um, and wants to rip up our city charters. Like let, let's, let's shrink back, even though the city's growing and, you know, basically a quarter of Alberta lives in our city. No, I think there has to be a positive sort of version of the Mike Nickel, I guess. So unfortunately, people are resonating with that that message that, that politics as usual is not working anymore and they're tired of it. So um, I don't know about you, but I'm not super convinced that the Democratic candidate for president is going to do well because in the United States because he, he seems like just more of the same, right? And I guess that's that's the that's the feeling I get that maybe we just need that sort of person, but just not telling half truths. So, Tim, in the post, you say that you reached out to Councillor Nickel for comment, and he didn't respond. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a very well written piece. Of course, um, you know, there's uh, very little to complain about in there. I think, but anytime you write about um, you know an individual like this, there's some risk involved. Why do you think it's important to write this? I think it's important because I like I think we've already talked about there's parts of what I'm hearing that that are true and that are that are important to talk about, you know, and that, you know, people like yourselves and myself and other people that watch City Hall, we want to talk about things. And I'm sure just like me, your your messages are constantly from people within the machine or counselors or other people talking to you about things that they're frustrated with, but they, they can't talk about in public or, you know, there's all sorts of uh, frustration coming at me with what's happening, right? And I do want it to be talked about. So I, I felt like this was a way to talk about it but also to like be pushed back against some of the misinformation and point out that, you know, being smug about it is really not going to do much, you know? And I, like, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers. If anyone's pointing fingers, 
I should be pointing them at myself as well, you know, like that people to the left of center or even in the center are often quite, you know, just dismissive of people that are transparently spinning things or speaking these mistruths. But I, I don't think that smugness is going to work. So I wanted to write about it. I wanted to reflect on what happened in Toronto with Rob Ford. I lived through that. It's a big reason why I actually moved here. You know, I, I gave up on that city because it was broken. Uh, and broken in a real way. The, the lack of investment in the transit system that I relied on was just getting to the point that it was, you know, I, I couldn't make, I couldn't get to work reliably, you know, and, and it, that's not acceptable. And I could see that within a Ford administration, nothing was going to change on that front at least. So coming to Edmonton was like a excitement, you know, like I got here, there was an election, uh, you guys voted in Don Iveson and he was talking about LRT and I'm just like, you know, where have I moved? I'm, I, I, thought I'd, I thought I had left the, the best city in Canada for some other city and it turned out that this city had its, 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 its stuff together, right? And now I feel like somehow because those things are tough and they take a lot of time and they take a lot of money and there's a lot of complication, somehow that those things are bad. and they're not, you know, we just need to do a better job at them. So I wanted to write about it because I do care about the city. And I, I, I saw what happened to Toronto when someone who makes a lot of noise, but doesn't have a lot of ideas got into power. Well, I think that's a great place to end it on. Thanks so much for coming and talking to us. And of course, uh, your well-written post will have in the show notes and we encourage everyone to go take a read. Um, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to leave readers with want to plug anything you're doing uh this is your this is your moment this is your platform <laughs> uh i'm working on a book and a i am writing a story for alberta views on poverty and homelessness in the age of covid and i would suggest you check out a podcast it's linked in the bottom of my blog there um it's called gravy train it's about rob ford in toronto it's very very well done um, I would suggest you just listen to that and see if you think you find any of what's happening in Edmonton familiar. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Tim wasn't the only one who wrote something this week, Troy. You also wrote about Councillor Nickel. What did you find? So I wrote a blog post and sort of like Tim, I have been thinking hard about how we can combat this sort of fake news virus that Mike Nickel is putting out into the world because like we said, he revels in the controversy. He revels in people discounting him. So I didn't want to say how bad his plans were, how what he was saying was untrue. Other people have done that already and have done it better. But like we saw with Kenny upcoming to the provincial election and with Trump in 2016, when there's this constant barrage of just this person is end times, people sort of tune out and you don't connect with a lot of people. So I thought, let's take a hard look and see what is it that people like about Nickel and let's investigate how much of that is legitimate and mm -hmm. what are some valid criticisms based on what people like about Nickel so I can engage on the supporters turf. And what came to me when uh, Mike Nickel was doing his sort of Twitter and Facebook tirades this weekend was in 2016, his show To The Point TV, his own sort of like YouTube presentation that he did to control the narrative, it went on hiatus 
And one of his staffers, uh, which is managing the Facebook page, posted a really tasteless rape joke on the Facebook page. There was a lot of blowback to Mike Nickel about it. And eventually, one of his page managers, Matthew Alltime, took, quote, full responsibility and to the point TV was canceled. And that seemed to be the end of it. Right. And everyone sort of moved on. But when Mike Nickel was posting all of the stuff this weekend, one of the things he let slip through was a screenshot of his Facebook manager's page view, at which point we got to see that his initial sort of aggressive, why is the city installing bike lanes during a pandemic post, that was posted by Matthew Alltime, the same person who took, quote, full responsibility for posting those offensive jokes. So it made me question, well, Mike Nichols is all about accountability. He's all about personal responsibility. He's all about, you know, making sure that you're taking personal responsibility for your actions. What was the accountability here? How how did Matthew Alltime take full responsibility? And how has this changed? Because this seems to be the exact same offensive meme culture and doing things for a reaction that got him into hot water in the first place. So I made a post about that. I also reached out to Council Nickel for a response, and I got nothing back as well. Shocker. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, good on you or whoever it was that took the screenshots of these things, because he posted and deleted a bunch, right, over the weekend? And I initially got the screenshot of his tweet in order to make fun of him for reposting the thread, and that's what I did initially. It was, wasn't until later I took a harder look at my screenshot, and I'm like, Oh, that's something. Mm. So we won't beat that to death. It's something that you can check out on uh, my blog if you're interested. I think that it's a very good question and we should be keeping it in the back of our minds as Mike Nickel inevitably goes to his mayoral campaign because there will be a lot about accountability and responsibility and we'll need to ask him, what does accountability and responsibility look like to him? The final note I'll add on that is just on a personal funny note to me, uh, Mike Nickel wasn't the only one sending and deleting uh, things this weekend. Right after I posted that blog post, Matthew Alltime sent me a Facebook messenger request saying, hey, would you like to have a call? And like, I panicked to get my phone because I'm like, this is content for the podcast. (laughs) But it was not 70 seconds later, he deleted his message request and then blocked me on Facebook. Ah, Must have read the post. (laughs) That's Mike Nickel this week. I think we'll end with a little thing that came up in the meeting this week. And I know you bumped on this as well. Mike Nickel said this week that the city was installing extra bike lanes in a pandemic. And I don't think that's what administration nor council was intending. No, and Councillor McKean brought this up at the meeting and got a nice uh, professor of journalism emeritus uh, mention from the mayor. Um, you know, he basically said, that's not how we position this, right? When we had made these these changes, we didn't announce that we were installing new bike lanes, did we? And administration's like, no, that definitely wasn't the intent. It was about, you know, shared use paths. These are for be- pedestrians and cyclists to have more space on the roads. They're not new bike lanes, which is the way that Nickel positioned it. And it was interesting in McKean's comments at the meeting, he said, I've heard comments by the media and by others saying this. He really danced around the point that is just like he wanted to say, hey, Mike Nickel, stop being a knob. Right. Um, But I kind of don't appreciate that he refrained because everyone in the room, I suppose everyone in the room did know who he was talking about. But like, I think it is valuable to call Mike Nickel out for 
sharing misinformation. Well, that's our job now, I suppose, right? Councillor Nat, Councillor McKean don't seem keen, so we can do it. And do it we shall. Speaking of knobs, normally <laughs> I award knob of the week and there's one counselor, John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. He always wins and jury's out on whether he does. But earlier this week, he shared a letter that he was sending to council and I found myself conflicted internally because mm. I thought it made a lot of really good points. Yeah, I thought for a moment you were going to talk about his shirtless firefighter post that he made. <laughs> you know, but... some things just we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah, no, as you say, he wrote this letter. He sent it to uh, the fellow members of the Emergency Advisory Committee, as well as some folks at the administration. Um, in the meeting, uh, one of the other counselors suggested that it leaked. I, I, I think John D. just posted it on Twitter and, and Facebook. Um, but in the letter, he basically says, you know, I understand that administration would like us to approve a 30-day extension to the state of local emergency. And he wrote, quote, not only do I reject the notion of declaring 30 more days of special powers to our bureaucracy, in fact, I request that you consider joining me in the call to end the soul now for the following reasons, end quote. And then he lists, um, you know, a few different reasons that he thinks Edmonton doesn't need the state of local emergency anymore. Because the way you just phrased it makes it sound like Troy agreed with that. Is he stupid? I'll defend my initial position because the letter does make a lot of really good points. It makes the point that a provincial state of emergency overrides a municipal state of emergency. That's so true. we're not talking about removing the restrictions. We're just saying we want to change some of the consequences of declaring a state of local emergency. And the big one, which he bumped on, and I sort of agree with him, is when you declare the state of emergency, you give the emergency management committee basically infinite jurisdiction to govern the city however they see fit. So in this case, that's Adam Lachlan, the interim city manager. He basically has unilateral authority to do whatever he wants within legal reason within the city without council's approval. And he's not elected. Council is. I do sort of agree that if we are in a state where we don't need to actively respond immediately day to day, we've sort of gotten a handle on things. Yeah, let's let the accountable elected representatives handle the situation. Um, he didn't conveniently in his letter argue against himself. And that's what uh, council did at the emergency management committee. Yeah, as I agree with you. It's not something that we should dismiss out of hand. The argument is fair to consider. And I think what came up at council is that he went about it the wrong way, first and foremost. Um, but also he did get a couple of things wrong. So one is that by declaring the state of local emergency, that is the, the mechanism to obtain those extra powers for the city. So whether council's making the decisions or whether administration is making the decisions or whether the management committee is making the decisions, we need to be in a state of local emergency in order to have those powers. And the legislation basically says it has to both enact and delegate those powers immediately. So Councillor Henderson brought this up at the meeting. He, as you might recall, was the person who, you know, asked the hard questions about the very first state of local emergency, really wanted to make sure that we were doing the right thing. And so he pointed that out. You know, the, the argument that we could maybe allow councillors to make those decisions rather than unelected officials isn't allowed in the legislation because we can't just give those powers to councillors. Um, the other thing is that, you know, administration was pretty clear 
we do need some of these extra powers. So in the letter, uh, John D. basically says that some are redundant, such as acquiring and using necessary property, entering buildings without warrant for emergency purposes. You know, these are some of the powers that the city has used to take the Edmonton Expo Center and turn it into a day use and isolation shelter for people experiencing homelessness in our city. And that's great if the province has those powers, but the city is the are the ones that are actually making that happen here in Edmonton. And so we need those powers. So you can't just say that we're not going to have the powers anymore because there's still a valid need for those. And at the meeting, you know, John D. basically tried to explain some of his thinking and then kind of acquiesced to the idea that, okay, we still need this and I'm not going to win. <laughs> I'm not going to win the debate. Though he didn't acquiesce fully because uh, there were a couple of counselors that were essentially pleading with him to just please vote yes so that we have unanimity and we can show a united front to Edmontonians. And I don't think he acquiesced to that. That's true. So there was two counselors that, you know, really took the fight to uh, to Zadok. So one is McKean, who made the motion to extend the state of local emergency for another week. And in his closing comments um, before the vote, he said, you know, I would like to make a plea to my fellow counselor to request supporting, you know, this motion. He wanted to show unanimity and make sure that um, everyone else who saw the vote took away from it that council as a whole still thinks the situation is very serious. Yes, Edmonton hasn't been, you know, hit as bad as Calgary. And, you know, there's some positive signs on the horizon about flattening the curve, but we're not out of the woods yet. And he was very concerned, as were a number of the other councillors, that, you know, having a split vote or, or not having a unanimous vote would send the wrong message to people. And as you point out, um, John D did vote against it. So the vote was 12 to 1 in favor of extending for uh, another week. The other counselor that uh, called him out a little bit, although again, without, you know, naming names necessarily, uh, was Councillor Katerina. And, and I really appreciated when he spoke up because he wasn't the first to speak on this. And, you know, some of the others had kind of danced around it a little bit and were actually almost kind of debating the idea. And then Katerina gets up and he says, you know, quote, if we're going to do this with people putting out tweets, that for me is the wrong thing to be doing. If someone is in disagreement, put the motion on the floor, end quote. You know, kind of what we were talking about with Nickel. Like, if you want to use the privilege that you've got as a counselor, go ahead and do that. But that's not what John D did. Obviously, he's frustrated with John D in that moment. But I think Councillor Katarina was expressing frustration with, I'm, I was going to say the entirety of council, but two counselors, Mike Nickel and John Zadick, basically taking all their fights to Twitter, to, to social media and to the public before even discussing with their council colleagues. And that's got to be very frustrating, especially when there were meetings at the start of the pandemic where councillors got together and said, OK, what's our media strategy? How do we present a united front to Edmontonians? Right. I just think it's very fascinating that Katarina, who's often the sleepy councillor, uh, charitably calling him, he tends to be a bit quiet, a bit in his corner, unless you talk about one of his specific issues, to see him really go up at bat against what I'll call a conservative counselor, that was very refreshing and unexpected. Yeah, no, I thought it was great that he spoke up. The other thing we should point out, I guess, about all of this is what the mayor said. We spent, or they spent, and, and we did listening, you know, a couple of hours of this limited three-hour meeting talking about whether or not we should extend the state of local emergency and you know, talking about counselors putting out tweets and things like that. And the mayor pointed out that one of the reasons that we suspended all of our meetings in the first place 
was to give administration the bandwidth to focus on the response and on the recovery and on the relaunch work. And instead of spending that meeting talking about those things, they ended up debating councillors doing things out in public and, and, and maybe not using the right processes. Maybe councillors shouldn't do that. I think that's the <laughs> takeaway. Well, and the mayor said, maybe if this is going to be a political football, we should just do it for 90 days. And then the t- debate is off the table. Uh, we don't have the provincial legislation to do that yet, I don't believe, but it has been talked about as a possibility. Well, uh, we'll be following up on this next week and the upcoming weeks. I won't promise any specific information at any specific date, but know that COVID will be a topic of discussion in the future. That's all we have time for for this week. We always have time for our friends at ATB who have given some time back to us for pod power. It's amplifying the voices of Albertans and Albertan podcasters. And this episode, we're giving a pod power shout out to the Alberta Queer Calendar Project, which features monthly podcast dramas by queer Albertan writers throughout 2020. And I gotta say, uh, I'm a huge fan of the radio drama genre. I haven't listened to this uh, pod power yet, just full disclosure, but you can, and I could probably go listen after because there is a dire need of more just narrative podcast dramas to get you through speaking municipally and the daily (laughs) the podcasts that just badger you with the harshness of reality let's get some escapism going Uh, episodes are released monthly and are free to access anywhere you get your podcasts you can listen and learn more about the alberta queer calendar presented by cardiac theater in partnership with what it is productions at queercalendar.ca and that's all for this week but you might be hearing from Speaking Municipally before next Friday. Yeah, a quick heads up that we are putting a bonus episode into your feed next week. So you'll hear an episode by Chris Chengyan Phillips, who we've talked about on the show before. He's been on the show. He's won Jeopardy. Um, he's a Taproot Edmonton contributor, and he's helped us participate in the latest Covering Climate Now initiative. This is a global journalism initiative to strengthen coverage of the climate story. All this week to mark the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, we've been talking about climate solutions, uh, the participating journalists. And Chris has put together an audio story that highlights some of the lessons from the pandemic that we can apply to the climate crisis and then starts to explore if we can make that leap from a fast crisis, COVID has moved incredibly quickly, to the very slow-moving climate crisis. So you can hear that in the feed uh, early next week. Yep, you have to take no further action. It will be dropping in your feeds before next Friday. But on next Friday, you will hear Mac and I back in our regular segment gabbing about the current fast-moving crisis. Uh, Until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're... Speaking municipally. Instead of the regular outro music, I'm going to leave you with the smooth sounds of Rob Ford in a city council meeting. The motion does not carry. The vote is 18 to 18. There's no way I am going to sit here and take this nonsense. I'm telling you right now. Oh, okay? Council. And you can, I'm not, I'm not, you're not going to continue this meeting until I get to move that budget. Because this snake should be back in his gate where he comes from. You slithering uh, snake. Uh, He's the one who did it. I know he's uh, a weasel. And weasels and snakes belong in the zoo. Uh, okay, that's exactly. And I'm not letting this go. No, counselor. I don't care if you guys can grab a recess. It's unparliamentary. It's unparliamentary. Oh. You know, Councillor, there are rules. He has to be removed. He has to be removed. He scares me. Councillor, please. Councillor, Mr. Chair. Councillor, no. Please. On a point. Members you did it out of spite, okay? You got members of Council, 
Mr. Chairman, on a... No, members of council, let him yell for a minute and blow off his steam, and then we'll go on with our meeting. We're not going to sit here, council. A point of order, Mr. Out. Chairman. Please, it no. is time that... Councillor Johnson, please, let me please deal with the member that's there without everyone else jumping up and looking as silly as he does. Now let him just go for a minute. If he doesn't sit down, I'll ask for him to be removed. Order in this council Fine, chamber. let me do that without do everyone else. Call the up. security guards. Fine, let him. me deal with it, please.